Good morning, good afternoon, or good evening. Tom Moran here from Tom's Big Spider. So we're going to start this one off with an apology, and it's going to be an apology before the fact because basically what happened this week, I got crickets to feed the spiders, and normally when I'm feeding the spiders crickets, I know I do my podcast on Sunday, so I stop feeding out around midweek or so to make sure that everybody's been gobbled up and there isn't there aren't any survivors out in the background that'll be chirping away. Well, I came up to the tarantula room today, took the box of crickets that I have. I always bring them downstairs so you can't hear them chirping in the background. And the chirping has continued. Now, of course, I'm, I'm talking about it now and it's quieted down, but I'm not going to kid myself into thinking it's not going to start again. I actually, after I took them out, I tried to hunt down the ones that were in here making the noise because unfortunately yesterday when I was feeding, I had a couple escape. And usually what happens is they end up downstairs or I even find them in my basement that is ridiculously far away from the total opposite end of the house and obviously a, a couple levels lower than the tarantula room. And I was hoping they would just end up there, but nope, they're up here somewhere. I thought I had one tracked down. I caught one and I was so excited, a little bum, and immediately fed it out to something I knew would ravage it right off the bat because I was so frustrated. And then I sat down, went to record, and another one started going. And I have no idea. It almost sounds like it's coming from within the walls. It's maddening. So I'm going to apologize into advance. It's, I guess, one of the hazards of doing your podcast in your tarantula room. And for those who ask, I always get this question. Every time I talk about using crickets, why people are like, why? Some people are like, why do you use crickets? And as I've explained before, they're just, I find them, everything eats them. I have no problems with them. Anything refusing them, I usually supplement them with roaches. So I think people think I don't use roaches. No, I have three roach calls. Yes, I was feeding. I have my big dubias that I use for my bigger ones, especially right after a molt. This summer, I didn't use crickets at all for about three months. When I was on summer vacation, I didn't feel like driving up and getting crickets. So I used a lot of my roaches because a lot of the females were getting older. I had a bunch of babies, new generation. So I got rid of the females and the males. I fed out hundreds of male red runners, the B lateralis. And then I started feeding out some of the females because I noticed they were dying off. So why have them go to waste? But I will use roaches. Sometimes during the winter, I'll get a thing of superworms or mealworms. I use a lot of different stuff. Just I find the crickets to be very, very convenient. I'm fast at catching them. It, it's just what I choose to use. So I always like to throw that, that one out there because I know there's a lot of folks out there that believe that crickets are terrible for them. You should never use crickets. I've been using them for years. I did. I believe I did a whole risk versus reward podcast topic a while back where I explained why I use crickets. But I figure I'll just update people here in case you just joined the podcast for the first time because I know there's some confusion about that. So, yep, there's a cricket loose somewhere in here. It's going to start chirping at some point. You will probably hear me become even louder as I try to drown it out with my own voice. Uh, I remember the last time this happened, I went back and listened to the podcast and I couldn't stop laughing because it was blatantly obvious, at least to me, that I was trying not to pause or leave any moments of silence while I spoke because I was trying to drown out the sound of the cricket. So it was just like, I, I don't know how people listen to this stuff sometimes because I listened to it. It was exhausting because I wasn't even pausing to take breaths because I was trying to block out the sound of the cricket. So hopefully this doesn't happen today because we have a topic that I usually cover. I think I've covered this just about every year since I've done the podcast. And the first uh, first year I did it, it was like, all right, this is this time of year, good topic. Second year I did it, I was like, should I cover this again? I'm like, yes, I should because sometimes things change. We do have some additions to it this year. But basically this is going to be our winter episode where we talk about, uh, we're calling it 10 things that hobbyists will worry about with the arrival of the cold weather. The big chill is upon us, at least here in Connecticut. Today we have, I believe the high temperature is like 36 and then it's going to drop 
and then we're going to have a wind chill of 20 miles per hour, which is absolutely bonkers considering a week ago we were in the 70s. We have the New England weather has been crazy. I thought this year we were going to get a more gradual transition from the warm summer months into autumn and we did for a while it was nice we actually for once had like as October came the weather started getting cooler even cooler and then we just had these days worth of warm weather right in the middle that which kind of messed everything up and then all of a sudden it got super cold again so with the cold coming there are things that hobbyists do worry about there are things that I worry about I've noticed that doing the Tom's Big Spider stuff now for close oh God I think we're close to 10 years or so just through email emails and messages that this time of year, especially this transition period, and this is why I'm doing it a little bit early this year, this transition period where it goes from warm to cold is when people start experiencing a lot of these issues we're going to talk about today. Plus, we're going to kick it off with a, a, talk, a discussion. I don't have a solution for this. I'm going to throw this right out there. The rising energy costs are insane. I've had several people from overseas contact me about the fact that they are terrified of how they're going to keep their tarantulas warm during the winter because the energy costs over there are so high right now and going to be even higher during the winter time that they can't afford to jack up the heat like they used to just to make sure their spiders are nice and warm. In the United States, I don't know if it's going to be quite as severe, but we're definitely feeling the crunch as well. Obviously, the war is really kind of impacted the flow of energy sources around the world, but we are definitely, we've already been told that natural gas is going to go up through the roof. Our heating fuel is going up through the roof, and we just they just announced that the basic electric companies have contacted the state to let them know that in January, they are looking at a 55% price increase on electricity, which that means those of us who are thinking, all right, you know what, we'll avoid spending gobs of money on the propane, on the natural gas, on the heating oil by maybe using a little more electric heat. Well, that's now out the window because now we're going to be paying for the electric out the eyes as well and ears. So it's it's a, got a lot of people nervous. Billy and I were just talking about we have a, a much larger house than we used to. It costs a lot more to heat it. And although we're not in any way, shape, or form like in a financially scary place with it, we are looking at the fact that heating costs are going to be through the roof. We've already got a couple cords of wood ready to go. We're ready to roll as far as that's concerned. We've been keeping the heat turned down much, much lower than we usually do this time of year. A lot of hooded sweatshirts going around that Moran house right now and it hasn't even started yet this is the beginning of winter so the first thing everybody is worried about is high energy costs originally when I thought about doing this this was back in the summer I knew this was coming up I knew natural gas was going to be going up I knew that oil was going to be going up so we're going to talk about some electric alternatives but now with the cost of electricity also going up we're kind of stuck as far as how we can heat our tarantulas during this energy crunch. Now, I think like Billy and I, a lot of folks are probably going to make the decision, I was just reading an article about it as well, of keeping their overall temperatures down in their house. I just read an article that basically somehow reasoned out that they expected people to keep their houses anywhere from three to five degrees cooler this winter as they're trying to save on heating expenses. I can tell you right now that we are keeping ours about four degrees uh, cooler than we did last year, just trying to save a little bit there. Here's the deal. If you're trying to, the best way to do this, and this isn't going to be perfect, this isn't going to work for everyone, but for folks that can have one dedicated room for their spiders, the best way, if you're trying to keep the rest of the house cooler, find that one dedicated room. Obviously, for folks who have electric heat and zone heating where they can turn the heat up, I know I talked to some folks who are like, yeah, we have one smaller bedroom that I have my tarantulas in, and I just keep the heat a little higher up there. We keep the heat down the rest of the house. That works great. For those that don't have that luxury, and I don't know if it's a luxury, 
luxury because electric heat's going through the roof as well. But for those that can't just control one room, the trick is to keep the temperature down in your house and to use supplemental heat in that other room. Now, in the past, I have used the stand-up oil-filled heaters, space heaters. I find those to be a lot more safe than some of the other ones out there, a lot more reliable. You can set the temperature you want them to go off. They create a nice, it's a radiator. It looks like a little standing radiator with wheels on it, creates a, a nice radiant heat that comes off it. I used one of those for years at the other house because we keep the temperatures. Again, we had to draft the old house and the, the rest of the house we kind of kept a little lower. The transfer room I wanted a little higher after I started doing the Tom's Big Spider stuff. I didn't want the super slow growth rates I was getting in the wintertime. So we used a little supplementary heat. Now in the tarantula room upstairs, I have explained before that my house is basically forced hot air. We have the boiler downstairs. We have the system that has the forced hot air. And the room over the garage where my tarantulas are is actually a baseboard radiator, the type the hot water runs through, and then it radiates out. Now, the problem is when we get up in the morning and kick on the heat for the main house, the main house heat is the most important heat, so that takes priority. So usually what ends up happening is for the first couple hours of the morning, especially on really cold mornings, the heat up here kind of turns off. So I've alluded to this before that it can get a little chilly up here. Usually it drops down to high 60s, mid to high 60s or so. On the really, really cold days, we've had it drop even lower. It was something that panicked us when we first moved in the house because I was at work one day and I have a system that measures the temperature in the room. I can check it on an app on my phone. I checked the app on my phone. It dropped down to 55. I was like, we're in trouble. Those animals can't be up there that long. I mean, 55, they can, they're fine with it for a little while, but if it stayed like that, we're in trouble. So we've since picked up, we were using the radiant heater. It wasn't big enough for the room. So I've since picked up another heater. It is a, it's life smart quartz infrared heater it looks like a little plastic box it's supposedly one of those ones that if you've read about the infrared heaters they don't put out heat they're supposed to heat the objects in the room i have yet to see that actually work out like that but what it is a little heater i put it in the middle of the room and i set it to a certain temperature so usually the temperature is set to right around 68 69 degrees and if it dips lower than that this heater kicks on and it's a nice supplement to the heat the rest of the heat in the room the actual overall radiators in the room. So what happens is in one of those cold mornings, the radiators don't heat up right away up here. It starts to get colder when that temperature drops down. And honestly, this thing kicks on a little bit earlier. Usually that kicks on, it heats the room. It supplements the other heat until that can kick back on. And I've had great luck with keeping the room temperatures from dropping too low. So it's uh, the biggest issue is this is a very, very large room. So a smaller room, you can probably get away with the radiant heaters, the little oil filled radiant heaters. It just wasn't enough for up here. This one's done a great job with just keeping those temps up in here. So when you're looking at heat, Try to get them into one room, preferably a smaller room. Use one of those other heat sources to heat the entire room. Don't try to heat individual cages if you can help it. Now, for folks that find themselves in a situation where they can't, they don't have that luxury, they can't get them into one room, then you can look at heat mats. Again, with the heat mats, usually what I encourage people to do is mount them on some insulated foam, mount them to a wall next to a shelf next to the cages, put the mats on it so it's directing the heat in one direction, and then position your enclosures in front of that. That can work very well. Give them a warm spot with a spot without being overly warm. I know folks, some folks will use heat lamps. You should not use them directly on the spiders. You can set them up in a way that the heat lamps are warming an area. So for example, I used to have one of my snakes had a heat lamp on it, and I 
had shelves positioned above it because that heat would rise and kind of heat those shelves a little bit. And I was able to basically monitor the temperature on the shelf. It never got too warm, but it was enough to kind of, when I had like, for example, my scorpion, when I bred my emperor scorpion, I had her enclosure. So part of it was hanging over the edge, getting some of that heat on one side. So it heated one side of the terrarium while the other side remained cool. You can play around like that. I just wouldn't drop heat lights directly on the spiders because you run the risk of drying them out. Sure, for a little while, it'll work great. You just want to be careful because as you'll see, as we get further into this list, drying them out sometimes is, I'd say many times, worse than the actual lower temperatures. But the trick is start thinking about it now because once those, there's nothing worse than when you're in a situation where you're finding out the room's too cold, you're afraid that the spiders are going to have health issues because of it, they're not going to grow well, they're, you're afraid you're going to lose slings, whatever it may be, and then suddenly you're scrambling to figure out a solution. That's kind of what happened to us when the heat started cutting out up here. All of a sudden, I'm like, all right, this room is 55 degrees. This isn't going to work. I take my little heater out and roll it out there. It's doing nothing to raise the temperature. What do we do now? So it was me doing a ton of research and trying to figure out what I could use as supplemental heat in this room that would work in such a large room. So you want to kind of figure it out now before those temps get really low and before the heating bills start coming in and you realize you're turning your thermostats down a bit. So it's not something you're trying to do on the fly because I can tell you it can really add to the anxiety. I remember sitting at work reading every review and bit of information I could find on a bunch of list of heaters trying to find what to use up here before I settled on this one. And I was freaking out because we had a stretch of cold, another stretch of cold days coming. I didn't know what to do. So try to figure that out ahead of time. Try to figure out what are you keeping your thermostat on this year. Try to figure out if that's not going to be high enough for what you would like for your spiders, then you want to look at using some type of other heat source. Start with heating the room first. If you can't heat the room, then you start looking at doing something with the heat mats and whatnot. With slings, the best thing, if you have a smaller collection, a lot of the people that contact me have smaller collections. They're mostly all slings invest in a larger tank, heat the tank, put the heat mat on the back of the tank, heat the, the enclosure up a little bit, have a thermostat that you can set it at and then put the enclosures in there. And then, like we said before, don't forget to put some type of body of water in there so that it doesn't dry them out. That's a big issue. And we'll get to that in a moment and then try to heat them that way. So you're not trying to heat an entire room for them. In that case, when you have smaller ones, I've, I've seen people that have done cabinets with this. They've created little cabinets. Just be very careful how you heat it. Cause usually, once a year, I get a nightmare email from somebody who had some cabinet they created to keep their slings in. They had a heater in it, the heater or the thermostat or something malfunctions, and they end up baking all of their spiders. It's awful, and I swear it's happened every year, at least once a year since I've been doing this. So be very careful how you choose to heat that larger container you're keeping your slings in. Now, another thing folks have to worry about this time of year, especially ones that set up or started getting into the hobby in the summer, a lot of folks will end up, the warmer weather comes, they're going to shows, they're ordering online, and then their first winter comes along and they make some discoveries that kind of leads them to having to make some changes to how they're keeping them. And one that comes up quite a bit are drafts, whether it be windows, whether it be doors, whether it be rooms that you're keeping your tarantulas in, then in the summertime it wasn't a big deal because, you know, the outside weather was already warm, so if you opened a door it wasn't a big deal, but Suddenly, you're realizing that there are people coming in and out from the outside all the time. They're getting drafts. I had a situation a few years ago where somebody contacted me. They had picked up a bunch of avicularia species from a pet store. They had them all set up in these beautiful aquariums in their living room. They sent pictures of them that looked great. And then the guy said, suddenly, they were not doing well. They were very lethargic. He found one of them on the ground. They looked cold. And then he realized that where he had put them, there was a terrible draft coming in from not only a window, but every time somebody opened a door, the room would get cool. So it was too cool for the avicularia 
various species. And that's something that happens quite a bit with folks who are keeping spiders. The room is fine during the warmer months of the year, but suddenly you find out not so good for the cooler months of the year. So that's something you also want to be careful of. That does involve, sometimes I have people contact me and they go, hey, I have them in my living room. And suddenly I'm realizing they're right near a door and it's getting cold. What should I do? And I'm like, move them to another room. I've had many folks that will t- tell me that they will keep them in the living room or in more areas with more traffic during the warmer months and the winter months, they move them to a spare bedroom or their own bedroom. That's sometimes the best bet to move them to an entirely different room because they do not, drafts are something that can easily affect and impact the health of a spider. They're not going to eat as well. For some species, if the draft is too cold, you could actually kill the spider. So you want to make sure that when, as these cool months come, kind of figure out what the temperatures are. Are there any drafts? I have a bunch of little digital thermometers and I will usually position them around the room to figure out what the, this is when I talk about the temperatures in my room and the top shelves are like 75. The temperature in the bottom shelves are sometimes 70. I like to figure out in my, even my tarantula room, what are the warm shelves? What are the cooler shelves? I used to do the same thing when I was at my house. We had one window in the tarantula room and that window was always a little cooler around there. So that's usually where my mature males ended up around that area, but use those, find out, just make sure right off the bat when it starts getting cool that they aren't in a place where they're going to get drafts from windows especially if you're in older homes that's a that could be a huge problem where they're going to catch drafts from doorways from people walking in and out of your home i remember last year somebody sent me a picture of their setup and their shelves and they were really proud of it It was awesome but i happened to notice that the shelves were right next to a door like there was only a little bit of space between where the shelves were and the opening to their front door. You could see the window outside and the other side, so it definitely opened outside. And I said, oh, is that the front door? And they're like, yeah, but it's not a problem. And the wintertime, it did become a problem. And they, it was nice because we kind of got to troubleshoot that ahead of time. The guy's like, I didn't even think of that. When it gets cold, people walk in here all the time. And he was able to move it before it was a big deal. So definitely check for drafts through windows, doors, rooms with outside traffic. And if you have to, consider repositioning or moving the tarantulas either permanently or seasonally to make sure they're not exposed to those drafts. Now, this next one isn't going to impact everybody, but for those of us who like to create and mix our own substrates, it's one that's impacting me right now because I waited too long. Usually before wintertime, when it's still, you know, the fall, the garden stores and the local, you know, Home Depot, Lowe's, whatever it may be, are still selling their dirt and garden products. I go and pick up a bunch of dirt, so the stockpile it over the winter because I do rehousings over the winter, and there's nothing worse than running out of dirt because... What people forget is that substrate availability, if you're one that's buying your stuff from local hardware stores and garden stores, they usually package that stuff up during the winter. The last time I went to my local Lowe's, I went to pick up some stuff. They had already taken all the topsoil and shrink wrapped it because nobody was buying topsoil anymore. So I wasn't able to get topsoil. A lot of times they stop carrying the garden products we use. So if you go to get uh, sphagnum moss somewhere or vermiculite or anything that you use to mix your substrate, your sand, Whatever it may be, they've packaged all that stuff up and it's not readily available. And I've shared before the year that I ran into trouble because it was around November. I couldn't find any substrate, so I bought from a place I never bought before. I bought two bags of topsoil, and that was the year that I ended up losing couple dozen animals because of substrate that was contaminated with probably herbicide and it was a nightmare and it was because I got caught in a spot because I didn't have the materials I needed the places that normally sold them had it packed up so please keep in mind that this time of the year can be difficult to get this stuff if you're buying cocoa fiber you can buy the bricks of cocoa fiber 
online Amazon buy you can buy the 10 or 12 pound bricks of it you have to rehydrate it the only problem with that is during the winter time usually what I like to do is on a nice warm day I go out and I put it in a big plastic bin and I take my hose out and I hose it all down moisten it all up and then let it dry keep in mind that in the winter time if you do that and you keep this stuff outside it will freeze that also happened to be one year I was all smart I got my cocoa fiber I moistened it out I had it in the garage I decided I needed to do some rehousings I was going to mix it with some old peat I had I went in the garage and it was hard as a rock because it was completely frozen now obviously folks that live in warmer climes aren't going to have to worry about this I'm guessing the folks down south this probably isn't such a big deal but up north it can be very difficult to get this stuff so I probably missed the boat on this one because I just ran into this myself I realized I went to mix up some uh, some substrate the other day I was setting up some enclosures and I realized I'm almost out of dirt so that leads it so basically I will have to either buy stuff online through Amazon I'll buy some I do use a lot of the bio dude but I also use a lot of my own mixtures so I'm kind of stuck now with what I can use as far as enclosures and substrate. So keep that in mind when the winter comes, before winter comes next year, if you're one that likes to mix your own stuff, buy all the materials you need beforehand before you get to a point where it's winter and nobody's carrying any of this stuff anymore because it can be incredibly frustrating when you have, I mean, in my case, sometimes I'm like, I have fossorials I have to do, which requires a lot of substrate, which I use usually cheaper substrate stuff I mix up to save a little bit on the cost of dirt. And then suddenly you have no no access to any of those materials. So keep in mind, substrate availability dwindles quite a bit. Your options dwindle quite a bit, especially if you're in the cooler states or cooler areas in the cold winter months. Now, for folks who don't raise their own feeder insects, another thing you can find, another situation you can find yourself in during the cold months is lack of feeder availability. I know a lot of people that will buy their stuff from local pet stores and a lot of folks that buy from Amazon. I used to once in a, once upon a time back in the day, I used to get my crickets from Amazon. You go on maybe like 25 bucks, you get a box of crickets. And unfortunately, during the cold winter months, if you're ordering through Amazon, they will often ship them, but they will often end up completely dead. And that became a huge issue one year where I was ordering my stuff off Amazon and eBay and the crickets, I'd order the crickets and would get a cold snap. The crickets would come in, they'd be all dead. The other thing people can have a hard time finding in the winter time, because again, you have to have them shipped and the cold weather can kill them flightless fruit flies. I've had issues getting those when you have a bunch of really tiny slings, if that's something you use. Mealworms will usually do okay. And I have, there was one winter, I remember I bought thousands of mealworms because I couldn't get anything else shipped in that would survive. But superworms, on the other hand, one year I ordered a thousand superworms. It got super cold and I had a bunch of super dead superworms. When I opened up, it was disgusting. They were all dead. I had a handful that I was able to save that I did kind of start a little superworm colony with. But overall, I ended up with just a fraction of the the superworms I had ordered. It, they went very, very quickly. So keep in mind, it can be a little more difficult if you're getting a large... If you have a small collection and you have a local pet store that you get your stuff from, it might not be as big of a deal. However, I have run into issues before when I used to buy from local pet stores that they run into the same issues we do. So you go to the pet store to get crickets. They come in like, oh man, I got a box of them in. They were all dead. So the same thing can happen to local pet stores where they... Order the stuff in, it gets cold, and the stuff comes in dead. I remember Petco one time, I went there to get some Petco, not the YouTuber, the actual store, 
And I went to get some crickets, and the person was like, oh, we just got them in. They were opening the boxes, and it was just box after box after box of dead crickets. So feeder availability in the winter can be sketchy. Mealworms is a good alternative if you are if you have to ship or you have to order something and it's cold out because the mealworms, as long as they, if they freeze, they die. But if they stay cool, they kind of hibernate. It's one of the reasons I like mealworms, especially when you're feeding slings or stuff, or if you only have a handful of spiders, you, you don't have to worry about buying 10 of them like crickets, and by the time you have to feed your spiders again, the other eight ones have died. You can hold on to them. They work good. But keep in mind that like folks that use roaches, like sometimes I like to order more roaches during the wintertime because I tend to use a lot of roaches. And a lot of places won't ship during the super cold months because they don't want to have them get caught in the mail and all die. I'm sure they've had this happen many times where they end up footing the bill for it because they ship them. It gets super cold and the person gets a box of dead roaches. So make sure you plan accordingly with your feeders. Make sure that you, you know, Understand this could be an issue when it gets cold. That's why a lot of folks, I think, start keeping their own feeder colonies. I can right now, if I can't get crickets for the next several months, I am covered with roaches. Not physically covered with roaches, but I have that covered because I have so many roaches here. But that can be an issue for folks that have smaller, they keep smaller quantities of spiders. Sometimes it doesn't make sense to keep a larger colony because if you keep the colonies well, they grow very, very quickly. You get a lot of roaches more than you can use. So Keep in mind that during the wintertime, it can be a little trickier sometimes to find those prey items. There's nothing worse. I've had people before. I remember the worst was when we had the pandemic, a couple of years during the pandemic, because people would go to the pet stores and they'd be like, I went to my local pet store and they're like, we don't even know if we can get crickets right now. We don't even know when we're going to get roaches again. So just keep that in the back of your mind when the wintertime comes, that it can be a little more difficult to find the prey items to feed your animals. Now, the next two I kind of have as separate ones, but they kind of go together. During the wintertime, a lot of us are going to be keeping the temperatures lower than they would be in the summer, either purposely because we're turning down our thermostats or just because of the fact that during the summertime, like, for example, this room heats up to the 80s easily most days in the summer. But during the wintertime, it's in the 70s. So what we're going to experience, two different things we can look out for. Number one is fasting. Some species will not eat when it gets too cold. I think it triggers something instinctual in them that makes them recognize that when it starts getting cooler, the air gets drier. This is the time of year where they don't find prey items. This is probably the year, the time of year where many of them secret themselves away in their burrows until things warm up below the freeze line. They dig down, get below the free, freeze line where it's like the mid to high 70s all the time and they just sit there and wait. So you will see, back in the day it was the Chilean species. You know, the Gramostola rosea was infamous for fasting. Other Chilean species as well because their internal clocks, especially because a lot of them were wild caught at the time, told them this time of year there's going to be no food so we're going to stop eating. And that used to drive people nuts. But other species, I've seen it with Gramostolas, Gramostola pulcropies. I've had them bury themselves and disappear. Afonapelma species, after doing the Afonapelma blowout we did last week, I had a lot of folks contact me after hearing about Nikki and how for like four straight years she would bury herself right around the end of October, come back up again the beginning of April. A lot of folks saw the same thing. And I even had folks from that live in the areas where these come from and said, yeah, that would be the winter part of the year. It would start warming up in April and they come up and start eating again. So expect that some species may stop eating as long as you make sure they have access to the moisture, as long as you make sure that they were nice and plump beforehand. It's not anything to worry about. You're 
you're not going to be able to force them to eat. So it's wasted energy, wasted negative energy worrying about it. Now, the other thing that some folks will notice, and I get this quite a bit from people that end up getting their first slings in the wintertime. Someone will get one of these supposed fast-growing slings during the winter, and they'll immediately notice that it's not eating as much as or as well as they thought it was going to. It is taking forever to molt. And then I get the emails going, is my spider sick? Is my spider broken? And the first thing I usually ask about it, what are the temperatures in your home? And a lot of times you will find that with the lower temperatures, some species will not grow as quickly. I've talked before about how when I got my first Lasiodora parahibana, it did not grow as quickly as I was expecting it to. I'd heard these things are fast growers. They're going to put on massive size. And mine didn't grow very fast at all. It spent a lot of time in pre-molt in between eating really, it would eat really well, it would go into pre-molt for a couple months, it would come back out, it would eat really well, but it wasn't really putting on that massive size. And looking back at part, part of that is to do with the fact, or a lot of it is probably due to the fact that my tarantula room was rather cool back then. And we were talking about 67, 68 degrees often throughout the winter, every once in a while it hits 70. So with cooler temps, you're going to get those slower growth rates. So if you're raising tarantulas in the cooler, you've picked up your spider in say November or October, and you're noticing it's not growing as quickly as you've read others grow, it doesn't necessarily mean that you're tarantula is sick or there's something wrong with it. It just means its metabolism is a bit slower because of the temperatures. Nothing to be worried about. So keep in mind, some of them may not eat at all. Some of them may eat less. Some of them may be a little more lethargic and not as interested in food. Some of them may burrow and disappear for a while. Some of them may eat very, very well and just take a while and pre-molt. That's all very natural behavior if you have cooler temps in your home during those winter months. Now, every year that I do my winter episode, we always talk about ordering spiders during the cold months. I will have folks ask me if it's safe. I would say most tarantula dealers that know what they're doing know how to pack in the winter months. Most tarantula dealers that know what they're doing are going to check those temperatures and are not going to ship if they think this spider is going to be exposed to dangerously low temperatures. So that's something to keep in mind. However, not everybody does that. Some people will just say, oh, you want a tarantula? Here it is. They send it out. They don't check the weather. You can have situations where the weather suddenly drops. I've had this happen where we look at a stretch of nice warmer days to ship and then the weather suddenly changes. Changes, it gets super cold. That can be an issue. Then you can have the package get caught in the mail and get lost for a bit. And you've had even using FedEx situations where the package get lo- gets lost for an extra day or so, leaving it in those cold temperatures. This is all stuff you have to consider. So can you usually ship safely in the wintertime? Yes, but is there always an inherent risk that something is going to go wrong? That could put your tarantula, the brand new tarantula that you just ordered at risk. Yes, that's part of it. There is, I think, overall, I've done it a lot. I've gotten, I've received a lot of packages over the winter time, but I'm very, very careful to make sure I ship when they're least likely to have one of those surprise cold snaps or something. If I think we're going to have a big stretch where it's going to be super cold, I hold off. I ask them to hold them for you. Most are very good about holding, and you can tell them when you want to ship. I've never had an issue with that. Just make sure that you're putting the welfare of the spider first. I, I've talked to folks before like, man, I'm, I can't wait to get this thing in. I'm going to have it shipped. You've ordered it. You've paid for it. You've locked it in. You're getting it. If it looks like the weather isn't going to be good to receive it, then hold off. There's nothing wrong with waiting for a warmer stretch. There's nothing wrong with having it held for a bit. The other thing I tell people is I no longer have spiders shipped to my home at all. I don't have them shipped to my home in the summertime. I don't have them shipped to my home in the wintertime. I have them held at the local FedEx hub. They will hold them there where you know they will be inside. They will not be baking in the sun during the summer months. They will 
will not be freezing in the back of a not heated truck during the winter months. I would make very good friends with your local FedEx hub. I would find out where it is. I know for some people it's very inconvenient. It ends up with them having to drive a bit. I've had people complain because they're like, I went to have this ship. They won't ship it to me because they say it's too cold. But the local FedEx is a half hour away. Yes, not convenient. Obviously, you want it at your doorstep. But let's think of it this way. This isn't a book off of Amazon or something inanimate object that you're getting in. This is a living animal. You need to put the animal's welfare first. So unfortunately, depending on where we live, that drive is a little more than we'd probably like to do. But hey, you're getting a spider in. Just think of it that way. I've driven to pet stores 45 minutes, an hour away to get spiders before. Half hour really isn't that bad. Make a road trip out of it. Take it half day off work. Enjoy yourself. Get your new pet. Know that it's going to be much safer if it's held than if they deliver it to your doorstep. So I'm not going to go over over the top on talking about safely shipping because I think I've done enough on it. I would encourage you to go back and listen to some of the older podcasts. We talk about it, but big thing is watch that weather. Don't have, if, you, if you're worried about it and you're like, uh, it could be iffy, then hold it. Don't ship. That's the best advice I can give you. Hold off on shipping. I have received dozens of spiders during the cold winter months over the years. I've had exactly one major incident, and that was because the dingus that shipped them to me didn't put a heat pack in, even though that it was 55 degrees where she was, and it was currently 30 to 20 to 30 degrees where I was. So that's the only time I've ever had an issue with it, and I'd like to think part of that's because I'm extra careful. So be cautious when shipping in the winter months. Hold off if you need to. Have it shipped to your local fed. Put the animal's safety first. I don't care how excited you are to get the spider. It will get there eventually. I can tell you and assure you from my own personal experience, there is nothing worse than opening up a box with dead spiders in it. I can tell you that other folks that have experienced it will tell you there's nothing worse when you're getting into the hobby than opening up a box with dead spiders in it. So let's avoid that and be make sure that we put the animal's welfare first when it comes to shipping during the cold winter months. Now, another thing we worry about, and this used to be something that Billy and I really worried a lot about because where we live, we had a lot of trees. Every time there was wind or heavy snow, we would lose power. Power outages during the wintertime can be deadly for tarantulas. And sadly, recently we had a situation in Texas where there was snow, there were freezing temperatures, there were freezing lines, the power went out, and a lot of folks were emailing me in a panic because they were going two or three days with zero heat in the house. A lot of folks lost spiders. It was horrific. It was awful. And I can definitely sympathize because we had situations where in the winter our power went out early on when I was in the hobby. The power went out and it was off for a couple days. It was freezing outside. Our house was very, very drafty and that spider room plummeted. At one point, I believe in the spider room before we figured out what to do, dropped down to the high 40s. I was afraid I was going to lose everything. Power outages during the wintertime are a huge concern for many of us up north, and it seems like it's becoming a concern down south. We we all want to be prepared. So even if there's a chance you could get hit with a power outage or that really cold weather, you want to make sure you prepare ahead of time. A power outage during the summer, I've had people go, well, what about during the summertime? During the summertime, not that big of a deal, unless you have... Where it can be a big deal is folks that live in places where their house will heat up to the 90s. I have heard of people losing spiders that way. So I have people ask, what do you do during a power outage? Well, I will tell you what happened with Billy and I, and it worked out well for us, but came with its own risks. It was it kind of panicked us. We had originally the tarantula room was off of our dining room. So what we ended up doing is, and granted, the family was kind of chilly too, because I believe it was our second day. The power went out, we lost heat, and fortunately during the first part of it, it wasn't terribly cold outside, so we managed to maintain a temperature of around 65 or so in the tarantula room, which was okay. 
Then it didn't go back on. They were talking about another day, and the temperature plummeted overnight, and the temperature in that tarantula room plummeted as well. So what we ended up getting was we went to our local Home Depot, and we got one of those. They're kind of cylindrical kerosene heaters, and we used one of those. We positioned it in the dining room because we were a little chilly as well. So we kind of had it so it was in the dining room by the living room, so it cast off some heat, and we got that going. And that allowed us to raise the temperatures to keep it into the 60s, low 60s or so in the room. We didn't go crazy with it. I ended up moving some of the enclosures so they were a little bit closer to it. But the idea wasn't to heat the room up to the level. I think this is important when you're trying to heat a room when the power's out and the weather's obviously very cold outside. Do not try to get it up to normal temps. So if your tarantula room's usually 73 degrees, don't try to get up to 73 degrees. Don't even bother. Let's pick something in the 60s, mid to low 60s, where they'll be okay for a little while. I mean, obviously... If I wouldn't probably keep them like that all year, although I have had people tell me they keep theirs tarantulas in the mid to low 60s all year round. They just don't grow very quickly during then. I, they're not going to die if kept like that for a few days, a handful of days, even a week even. But try to shoot for the lower temps because, again, you want to be careful with those kerosene heaters with the fumes. That was one thing I had read about them, that they could be a little dangerous because the fumes it gives off. You want to make sure you have an open room. So that's one of the reasons we didn't just put the kerosene heater in the small little room and let it run. We had it kind of in doorways so that the heat was going off, radiating out into the dining room, a little bit into the living room, a little bit into the tarantula room, kind of raised the temperatures all around. It worked. Worked great. We had bought a bunch of gallons of kerosene to go with it. The power, I believe, stayed out for another 24 hours. It got quite cold, but this took the chill out of the house. It took the chill out of the tarantula room, and we didn't lose any. So that's something I just had somebody contact me, and I'm so sorry I didn't look up the email ahead of time to say your name. But they live in Texas. They had experienced that situation where everything froze. They lost power for days, and they were wondering how to do it. That was my suggestion. Pick up one of those. I've used them many times over the years. And they work well for me. Again, just make sure you read the warnings about the fumes. Make sure that I, what I did is I had it in an area where every once in a while it was like near the dining room window. I'd crack the dining room window a little bit, make sure we got a little fresh air in there. But it worked great. And it was a way to just raise that temperature enough. Again, don't try to get the temperature up to where you'd normally have it. Just try to take the chill off the air. Keep a temperature there that they will be okay in. Wouldn't obviously do worry about any feedings or anything during this time. Just keep it warm enough that you're not going to lose your spiders. Now, for folks who maybe are just getting into the hobby, have a bunch of slings or maybe a, very, a much smaller collection, I've heard of many folks using the heat packs that use for shipping, the uni heat packs, to keep their smaller animals warm. You can basically create a little incubator type setup like we did with the slings but this time you're going to use a heat pack in it again you want to make sure you don't have the heat pack touching any of the slings you want to make sure you're monitoring how hot it is in that enclosure one guy sent me one where he had a larger tank and he kind of put the heat pack in the middle and then arranged the other enclosures around it not too close that they were getting fried he had a thermometer in there to make sure it didn't get too warm and it was enough to keep those slings warm during that power outage so that's something you can do as well if you have slings get some of those uni heat packs get some of those 72 hour ones have them on hand have some type of container that you can put the slings in and then make sure again Keep some water in there so it doesn't dry out completely. That's the last thing you want. Even when they ship them, they usually spray down the paper towels in there to make sure there's adequate moisture because the last thing you want to do is overheat them and have them all dry up. So that would be my advice for folks who are worrying about power outages. That's what I've used before. I have actually used the heat packs before a while back where it got a little bit chilly because of power outages, and I mostly had slings at that time. 
the obviously I've used the kerosene. Both of them worked well for me. But if somebody else has something else they've used, please let me know. I, I would love to hear it. That's just what has worked for me. And while talking about temperatures, temperatures in themselves is a big worry, a big concern for folks during the winter months. I think that part of it is that a lot of us, when we're doing our research initially, hear about all these ideal temperatures that we're supposed to keep these animals at. We have it in our head as much as we try to deprogram ourselves that, oh, they've got to be high 70s or low 80s or we're in trouble. And so when the cooler winter months come and our tarantula rooms start to naturally become cooler, we freak. And there's nothing wrong with that. As we've talked about before, yes, if the temperatures get too low, if you have them in a room without heat, if you're keeping them in a garage, if you're worried about, again, the power outages, that's something to really worry about. But I think under most normal circumstances, there's no need to worry. The majority of the species we keep go through periods where the temperatures are a little bit cooler. Granted, you got the tropical ones where they'll experience temperatures in the 90s and their low temperatures will still be in the 70s. I get it. But they've all shown to be very, very resilient, very adaptable to cooler temps over the cooler winter months. So we can't be obsessing with keeping the temperatures as high as they are in the summers. We mentioned this with the power outages. It goes with even not having power outages. Don't worry about if you have natural temperature fluctuation during the cold winter months. I've been doing it for years. I use myself as an example because when I originally, as I mentioned earlier, my old tarantula room, there were days I hit 65 degrees, no problem. Everybody did fine. And back then I was keeping a lot of slings, including the, what back then was Avicularia versicolor is now Carabina versicolor. Everybody did fine. I never had, I wasn't having losses. They weren't dying. Yes, they grew a little more slowly during those winter months, but we can't be obsessing. It's something we're going to worry about. I actually will say I get more worried with the warmer summer temperatures now because it causes what we're going to talk about next, which should be the big thing we're worrying about, dry enclosures. The temperatures aren't as much of an issue as it is for when we try to heat a room. I can't tell you how many times I've heard from folks who have put a heater in the room. They put it a bit too high. Next thing they know, they go, I'm going around feeding and I find a bunch of dead slings and a death curl because I didn't realize it was drying the room out so much. I'm always talking about the cooler winter months are when our heaters kick on. We have our furnaces, our forced hot air, our radiator heaters, whatever it may be, and it dries the heck out of the air. That can be more deadly. That dry air, it can be more deadly to the tarantulas than some lower temperatures. So I think we need to give a little more thought to the moisture requirements of these animals and how trying to raise the temperatures during the wintertime also creates a situation where those enclosures dry out much, much more quickly. And this, I see this being particularly deadly during those periods where it suddenly goes from being rather mild to really cold. Uh, i.e. we're living in one right now when it goes from summer to fall one day you got 75 degrees 80 degrees next day all of a sudden you're looking at 35 degrees suddenly the heat kicks on things dry out quickly and when the air in the room dries out quickly the moisture inside of our enclosures as long as they are adequately ventilated will dry out much more quickly too i've told i've shared before how i've had situations where i've tried new types of enclosures and they're fine most of the year i have my schedule of you know feeding and making sure i moisten down the substrate all of a sudden, we get a week of really cold weather, the heat kicks on, and these things dry out like that. That is a huge danger. That should be probably the thing we're most worried about. I can tell you that I get more emails during the winter months about people losing their animals to death curls than I do any other time of year, and usually it's because that heat is drying them up. We also get some, in the summer, it can get quite warm. 
also something you need to worry about, but a lot of times, at least here, we have the high humidity in the summer, which helps a bit. That's usually why I let things dry out a little bit. But if you're in a place where it's really dry heat and it's really hot outside, it's dry, then again, you have to make sure, same thing, make sure those enclosures don't dry out. So when the furnace kicks on, the air dries out, that's when things become deadly. The more you heat, the drier the air will be. So if you've got your normal heater running, like for example, if I have my normal radiator heater running up here and then I kick on that other heater, things dry out a great deal. Invest in humidifier. It is a lifesaver when it comes to these situations. I have used a humidifier for years. Again, we're not talking about obsessing over high humidity levels. I've had people like, well, you say don't worry about humidity. You're right. I don't worry about humidity, but I do know that if the humidity in my home drops down to the teens or even single digits because the heat is running, that means these enclosures are going to be drying out super fast. I need something to counter that. So I run a humidifier. I kicked mine on for the first time yesterday. I noticed the heat has been running for a solid 48 hours up here and it was getting quite dry. So I kicked on the humidifier, just kick things up. You don't need to go nuts. I usually try to keep my room for dipping below like 40% humidity. Sometimes it dips down 38, 35, but I don't like it super low because keep in mind, the lower the humidity is, the overall humidity is in that room, the faster your enclosures are going to dry out. So do make sure that you're more diligent in the wintertime with those moisture-dependent species. I am super diligent with my slings. Again, I want it a little warmer for my slings, but I don't want their little cages to dry out too quickly and end up with a bunch of slings in a death curl. So humidifier, There's a bunch of different ones out there. Try something that works for you. I usually try to find one that'll run at least 24 hours or so because there's nothing worse than I've had situations before where I go to bed, I run the humidifier, come up in the morning, humidifier's been dry, the humidity's plummeted again. I like to maintain the humidity level in the room, so I like to make sure the humidifier doesn't run out if I can help it so it doesn't drop and then it has to do extra work to pull the humidity back up, the moisture level in the room back up. But anybody that is keeping their tarantulas in colder climates where their heat's going to be running, I implore you, get a good humidifier. Keep it in good running condition. Clean it when it needs to be clean. Disinfect it when it needs to be disinfected. I think I usually use white vinegar for mine. Um, And then just make sure that that's always running during those winter months when the heat's going to make sure that your stuff doesn't dry out. Because I will tell you, the time of year where I start freaking out, and I've been doing this a long time, is around October or so. Because I know it's going to go from barely having to check on moisture levels at all because it's humid, it's fine, to all of a sudden things, everything drying out and me scrambling to go through the tarantula room, making sure everybody's nice and moist, water dishes are full, ones that have moist substrate, the substrate is adequately moist, those lower levels stay moist with my slings, making sure they don't dry out, always stay on top of that. So the number one thing we should all be worrying about, I would say in the wintertime, is those enclosures drying out. That's the big one. That's the one that... can impact anybody anywhere at any given time and I think impacts more people than we let on and I think a lot of it comes from the fact again that we're so concerned with the temperatures and so concerned with raising those temperatures that we're not seeing the big picture that we also have to make sure that that with those temperatures going up those enclosures don't dry out so that is my list of the things we you know we packaged it a little differently this year I think we covered a couple more things than we have in previous years you know a little review but added some stuff to it but That's my list of things I think that we all worry about, probably should worry about during the cold winter months if we're in the hobby, keeping a tarantula collection, larger tarantula collection. Obviously, some folks that are just listening to this now maybe just have a small collection, and a lot of this isn't really difficult for them because if you have a smaller collection, it's easier to find ways to quickly heat them if the power goes out. It's easier to find ways to just 
did heat a smaller area. But once your collection starts growing, this becomes more and more of an unmanageable situation. I remember the first year I really got into the hobby and had a lot of slings. They were just on one little shelf. I wasn't that worried about it. Power went out. It was easy enough to find a way to heat a little small area for these guys. Then the next year, I had a bunch, and it was several shelves. And all of a sudden, it was like, uh-oh, what do we do now? I can't just move these guys into the other room. I remember at one point, the tarantula room would get colder than the other room. So I would just relocate all my spiders into another room. For people that have huge collections, that's not an option. If the heat were to completely go out in this room up here... I don't know where that I'd probably have to move my guests to my basement, which manages to stay like around 67 degrees or so. But we're talking about moving almost 300 animals down there. That's a nightmare. So these are things that even if you're not, it's not an issue for you now. You're sitting here listening to this podcast, looking at your collection of like five slings. You know, prepare for those five slings, but a lot of us find this hobby to be very, very addictive. We end up amassing these huge collections of spiders. You may want to start giving thought now to what you're going to do once your collection gets too large to be able to use those quick little fix-its for the tiny sling collections. And now, instead of trying to figure out how to heat a small tank, you have a bunch of sling enclosures in, you're trying to figure out how you're going to heat an entire room. So... That will do it for this one. As for YouTube videos, no YouTube video this week. I may put up a podcast one. I've just been so busy at work. It's been a very, very busy couple weeks, and I did not feel like doing a video yesterday. I have to say there's there's times where I just don't feel like doing it. I spend so much time, like when work starts spilling over to home, and that's going to be the part of the issues as we get into the new year. It becomes my busy time of year. I just want to relax. And sometimes it feels like when you're doing those videos, it's like I feel obligated to do them, and I know I shouldn't, and I know I, I shouldn't have that feeling, but it's sometimes like when I feel obligated, it's like, no, I'm not doing one right now. So this weekend, I, I got up here, and I'm like, Billy, we got to do some rehousing. We got to do something. I said, you know what? Let's just enjoy our weekend. So we do have the long four-day weekend next week with Thanksgiving, and I will probably get some stuff done then. I, there's no probably. I'll do a video then. That was one of the things I had in my mind. I'll have more time to do it. So obviously, with Thanksgiving in mind, I do hope everybody has an amazing and safe Thanksgiving. As always, you can find me on tomsbigspiders.com. You can find me on Tom's Big Spiders podcast. That'll do it for this one, guys. As always, stay safe. We'll catch you all next time.